Queensland's Labor government is beginning the task of remaking itself after the surprise resignation of Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk. Standing up for the people of Queensland has been an honour of my life. Today, the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal answered Kathleen Folbig's prayers. It is appropriate that Miss Folbig's conviction for the manslaughter of Caleb Folbig, the murder of Patrick Folbig, the murder of Sarah Folbig and the murder of Laura Folbig be quashed. I am grateful that updated science and genetics has given me answers as to how my children died. There are people wandering around in federal parliament saying, we can wait till 2050, we can pause, as if the last 10 years weren't pause enough. No, we cannot. We can't wait domestically, we can't wait internationally. For the first time, the world is committing to transition away from fossil fuels. At the United Nations General Assembly in New York, Australia has broken ranks with allies the US and the UK and voted in favour of an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. This resolution, which we have supported, is a call for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. Hours after clearing the US Senate, the approval needed to move the AUKUS agreement forward past the House of Representatives. To get this legislation passed, that means that AUKUS can go ahead. Barry Humphreys has been remembered as a gifted entertainer and loving friend at a state memorial service at the Sydney Opera House. Hello, possums! <laughs> the rap. For the final Friday wrap for 2023 here on RN Drive, joining me with sleigh bells jingling to uh, wrap up the week in news and current affairs is the very jolly Rick Morton, senior reporter for the Saturday paper. Welcome back to you, Rick. Uh, you're so polite. Thank you, Andy. I'm going to flatter you out of the blocks here because I've got a text here from Michael who says, Rick Morton deserves a basket of Walkleys, truly a great Australian <laughs> journal. I hope that is what you put on your wish list from Santa. Uh, look, yeah, 10 more Walkleys, that's what I want. <laughs> that's what the boy wants. And uh, making her drive debut very late in the season, uh, better late than never, uh, the merry uh, Australian Financial Review, Rear Window editor and, and columnist, the very merry Miriam Robin. <laughs> Welcome to you. Thanks so much for having me. I've probably milked all of the Christmas kind of uh, adjectives here. We'll, we'll move on. The start of the week sent the Queensland government straight into the eye of the storm, not only with the, an impending tropical cyclone, but with long-standing Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk announcing her retirement after nearly nine years in the job. Rick, I mean, nine years, that's a, a lot of stability for the state. Are you sad to see her go? Um, no, no, I don't know that many people are sad necessarily. It's just, you know, it's nice to have a change uh, occasionally um, without the uh, the bloodshed of an election getting in the way. So we get to try something new without all of the um, having to go and, and test policies at the voting box just yet, although, of course, that will happen very soon. So, look, I think, you know, she, she did stabilise. She came in after a disastrous one-term government. Um, of Campbell Newman. She was the accidental Premier. No one thought that the Tarago van of seven Labor MPs would actually get back into government <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, and she did. Uh, and then she stayed. So, you know, for, for, you know, and I think, I think it's been a very troubled government in recent times. And I have very deep concerns about its approach to transparency. Um, but I'm trying to be kind in the lead up to Christmas. I can tell, I, I very much sense this in your voice and, mm. and your tone. Uh, tell us what you really think. Uh, but, but as to the question of whether she was jump, jumped or pushed, I think the consensus mm. amongst the Queensland or the Brisbane press gallery is certainly that she was pushed. Do you agree? Yeah, I've got no doubt about that. I've got some pretty good 
contacts up here in Queensland, having been born and raised here. Uh, she, I mean, there was just a view within Labor, um, particularly within the union movement and the you know the people who control the factions, that she wasn't going to win the next election. I think that's true. I think um, lucky is the wrong word, but COVID and her response to COVID was extremely popular within the state of Queensland, not so much without the state, you know, outside of it, um, for people who couldn't get home to see loved ones and who it was quite a iron fist way of managing the border. But internally it was very popular and she stayed after that election. Um, but that that has, time has run out and she she's not electable according to her own people. Miriam, uh, she was the last, of course, of the pandemic premiers at the state level. Uh, she was also Australia's longest serving female premier in a state that isn't always kind to Labor politicians. What do you think her departure means? Well, it's interesting you say it's a state that wasn't kind to, isn't mm. always kind to Labor politicians. So I think at the state level, it's been exceedingly kind. I think it's had Labor governments for most of the last 30 years, apart from a couple of very brief one-term governments. So, um, or, or maybe even just one one-term government in Campbell Newman. So, so I think, uh, you know, there, there is clearly a, a way for Labor to govern in Queensland. And I think the state Labor Party is very good at finding that way. And I think the the nice thing about Anastasia Palaszczuk, I guess, is that often when you get women put into positions of power, there's this kind of glass cliff thing where the government's unpopular and, oh, we need someone who appeals more to voters, so we'll put in a woman. And I don't think you could say that's what's happened here at all. She really led the opposition from a very bad position to winning the election, to being exceedingly popular, to becoming unpopular and doing the whole political cycle in a quite traditional way, in a, in a way that is usually done by men and she's done it as a woman and I think in a way it's it's nice to to see a, a normal cycle where it doesn't seem like the gender was very much of the um, the story, I guess, of how she got there. Speaking of pandemic premiers, Dan Andrews also bowed out this year back in uh, late September. He, of course, was an enormously popular premier in Victoria. Do you think, Miriam, that this that the, the sheen has worn off now that he's been out of the role for a few months? I mean, he was for a lot of a lot of Victorians, not all, he was uh, kind of like a personal Jesus at, at some point uh, <laughs> during very desperate and dark times. So do you think that sheen's worn off, Miriam? Um, so I, I have a suspicion, and you know, look, I'm, I'm not a pollster, but I always had a suspicion that I am, I am a Victorian. I live in Melbourne and I felt that the, a lot of the, um, the sort of pact that Dan Andrews had with the state was a very pragmatic one. So this is a government that has really improved people's lives from everything to free TAFE to level crossing removals to there's just been a lot going on in Victoria. So many policies that the government could point to and say, this is how we made your life better. And I think that was a, a feature of uh, monetary policy of it being. Hmm. Sounds like we might have lost the line there to Miriam. That was the Victorian opposition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They've hacked the ABC. We'll, we'll endeavour to get Miriam back on the line. If you've just joined me, it's quarter past uh, five on RN Drive. The Saturday paper's Rick Morton, and we're trying to get back the AFR's Miriam Robin here to wrap the week in news and current affairs on RN Drive. Of course, it is the uh, season, uh, really, in terms of the Christmas card list. I'm not sure if you've uh, knocked a few people off this list 
list of yours, Rick, this year. Uh, but when you think about some of the public figures uh, of all kinds, there's been a, a varying kind of performance, if you like, from CEOs that pocket billions while laying off their staff to public servants meddling in the back end of politics. 2023 seems to have had a really never-ending naughtiness list. Let's start with the most recent addition to the naughty list. You'd have to say the fossil fuel lobby at COP28, which, of course, includes the esteemed hosts uh, Dubai. Rick, was COP a flop? Uh, yeah, it was a huge well, – I thought it was a huge flop. I'm, again, trying not to be cynical in my old age, but, you know, this the celebration around the, the use of the words transition away from fossil fuels, it really is a document that was essentially written by people who didn't want to change too much at all, i.e. the fossil fuel industry and the, uh, the countries that really run their entire con- economies off this, right? Um, it's incrementalism at a, at a time when we don't have time for that. With the window to keep warming to 1.5 degrees is shrinking rapidly. And, you know, there's been quite a lot of work done on the, you know, what we need to do. And we need no new coal and gas, but we also need to keep 66% essentially um, of the reserves we existing projects in the ground to limit warming to two degrees. So it's, you know, I, I just think this kind of self-congratulatory, oh, we all got together and we used the right words. They couldn't even bring themselves to use phase out. Mm. So it's just just stop try, stop trying to win a semantics war and let's actually try and do something. And the idea that any kind of uh, constructiveness can be outweighed by the the want and desire for some agreement, yeah, boggles the mind really. Miriam, uh, should should we have expected that the UAE and others? Uh, really were going to protect their own interests at COP, particularly those at the fo- big fo- sort of fossil fuel end of the town? Oh, well, look, sorry for cutting out earlier, but I mean, of course they were going to protect their interests. I think absolutely everyone does that at these sort of multinational delegations. And um, yeah, I think in a, in a way it, it is quite a, a new thing in that they're finally phasing out and they've named fossil fuels, which is the first time that's ever happened. But isn't that just striking of how little progress it is? Yeah, I mean, this week, I know, Miriam, you've been reporting on a possible merger between two of our biggest miners, Santos and Woodside. Will mm. becoming a, a mine, they'll become a mining behemoth, really. Will that help them to maintain relevance, to sort of become a dominant beast, really? Yeah, well, I think um, you, you are seeing all of these gas producers sort of gobbling each other up around the world. And a couple of years ago, Australia had four fossil, uh, had four gas majors, and now it's just got two. And now they're in talks to maybe make one. Now we don't know if that'll actually eventuate, but uh, I guess the argument is that there's going to be a requirement for gas, which was mentioned at COP as a transition fuel for for the next couple of decades. And so how do you most effectively and efficiently uh, bring that to scale and abate the carbon as best as you can? And there's a lot of doubts about whether you can or how you can. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a, it's a defensive play, but um, industries and long-term decline can often survive longer by consolidating. Yeah. Now, Rick, I, I've taken mental note in this conversation. You've both said that, uh, you know, I, I'm cynical and also I'm trying to be nicer. I do yeah. wonder if any of these attitudes might reflect on your very good reporting on the robo-debt Royal Commission. Do you think the government has learnt the necessary lessons from this sorry saga? Will we see more fallout from this in 2024? Yeah, there's a, well, there's a lot more to come on the the original players of Rabbitet, obviously, in the names that were 
um, were named in the report but also referred in the sealed section, which we still don't know exactly what's in that sealed section. We may get more detail on that as investigations through the National Anti-Corruption Commission, the AFP, and also there's one legal professional services body, and I think I know who that is, but I won't say, uh, in terms of you know when they announce what they're doing with those investigations, if they carry through to, for example, a hearing or a charges being laid. Um, but also, I, you know, as a general rule, no, I don't think the government has learned anything. Um, I, I was incredibly disappointed by the way they responded to the report from the, um, the Royal Commissioner, Catherine Holmes, um, essentially lying about the 57th recommendation, knowing full well that it was a 57th recommendation to overhaul freedom of information. Uh, so one thing they didn't want to do, they didn't want to admit they weren't going to do it, so they just pretended it wasn't a recommendation, which is you know, without going so far as to compare it exactly to Robert, which is a ghastly scheme that was deliberately pushed through Cabinet um, against legal advice, um, the idea that you can just make problems go away by redefining them administra administratively uh, is exactly what led to this thing in the first place, is people looking the other way. It just made me pretty mad. Well, another mirror to this idea you can replace administrative functions of a business and expect uh, for things to somehow improve might be the uh, example of Qantas. Uh, I know you've been in a, really looking at this a lot, Miriam. I'm a regular reader of your column. Uh, this week, the company's made a submission in response to the government's aviation green paper. Was this the mere culpa that you might expect from Qantas? I mean, well, no, basically, but uh, I, I think the, um, you know, the Qantas has had, has had such a big year, right? I, I think the thing that'll strike me as like the low point is probably when they tried to book the proceeds of nearly 500 million and near impossible to redeem flight credits. And then they had to extend them because of the public opprobrium. And anyway, since then, they've, uh, the CEO's retired early, the chairman is leaving next year, and they've got a new CEO. But the, the thing about this response to the government's aviation green paper that they released yesterday, is it still very much, look, uh, you know, we're, we're doing a great job. The pandemic was really hard. And, you know, as far as consumer protections and anything like that, you've just got the consumer law to rely on, which I think is just an extraordinary thing for Qantas to be relying on, because right now it's being sued by the ACCC <laughs> for uh, selling tickets to flights up to 60 days after it had made the decision to cancel those flights. And then its defence is, well, you don't actually buy a seat on that flight. You bought a seat on a bundle of possible flights and we'll try and get you one at some point. And I think <laughs> given that carpet. that's the... Yeah, so, like, it's um, it's quite extraordinary, you know, the, the way that they have interpreted consumer law so far. And, look, maybe they've got a legal point, but I think it's certainly not one, and you know, I'm sure the courts will decide that, but it's certainly not one that would strike people as the way consumer law is meant to work in Australia. And I think it just shows uh, in their submission, which sort of, again, upholds the primacy of the status quo, is that, look, you know, if Qantas is going to change, they're probably going to have to be forced to change. So if we're putting uh, Optus, PwC and Qantas on the naughty list, who's the naughtiest, Rick? Oh, God, it's got to be PwC, surely. In terms of sort of far-reaching uh, governance questions, that that, well, that makes a good also point. Just, I mean, it was them before anything bad came out about them, They're just like, consultants in general, right? <laughs> but then the actual reporting from the Australian Financial Review, um, that they are gutless cowards um, and all of them. They should just grow up. I mean, they Qantas, PwC, they, they work in these complicated fields, right? Um, stop pretending it's all so hard. Just do your job. Like, it's exactly it what I say when my flight's been delayed nine <laughs> times in one day. Uh, yep. If you've just joined me on RN Drive, we're talking about the year that was. 
Uh, of course, I'd love to hear from you. Zero four one eight double two six five seven six. Lots of uh, votes for Pizzullo, uh as the on the naughty list this year. Uh, lots of disturbing events in Canberra. This uh, text says, "What about the nice list? Who's been good, Miriam, this year? We've had the Matildas. Surely that would rank on the north the, the nice list for you. Who else?" Well, I was thinking about uh, Senator Deborah O'Neill. So the Senate is a it's a very powerful institution if you know how to use it. And I think she does. And the thing that happened with the um, after a single PwC partner was sanctioned by the Tax Practitioners Board for leaking confidential government information is PwC said, look, he's gone. It was one person. We fixed it. There's a perception issue, but it's not a structural problem or the way we do business at all. And it would have been, you know, very, very hard to say that's, you know, to dispute that. Were it not for the release of all of the emails that the Tax Practitioners Board had received from PwC that led to them making that finding against that one partner in the first place? And Deborah O'Neill had those emails publicly released. And what they showed was that there were dozens of partners who seat on them, including the CEO, who said it was just a perception problem. So he had to resign um, and it it just really blew it all open and enabled the story to uh, become not just a one-off, you know, one-week story that blew up and then subsided away. And I don't think it would have been blown up the way it did uh, by Ed Tadros and Neil Chenoweth at the Financial Review if not for the release of those emails. Very very true, very true and and, and a very deserving uh, Walkley Award for them as well. When you come to think strategically about Rewinder, I wonder... What sorts of things are you interested in next year? Because, you know, a lot of journos pay close attention to the interests and the words in that column. What are the sorts of areas you're interested in looking at next? Oh, look, I think you keep an open mind, but you you follow up, uh, you follow up, I guess, the stories you've been doing already. And uh, and I think, look, I mean, I, I just think corporate Australia always delivers. I mean, I, I don't think we so much... <laughs> Uh, we so much seek things out as just keep our ears open and, and follow them up as they come up. So we could go anywhere. Who knows? I'm so like glad it. you didn't say me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rick, um, we've talked a lot about who's been naughty. Who has been nice? What has been a positive? Let's try and make this into a positive you know end to this gonna conversation. Do it. Who, I'm going to do it. Good? And I would, almost, I would almost never in my life choose a sports person, right? Um, I love sport, but I'm just like, you know, good on them. But like Paddy Cummins, um, what a year. Uh, as captain of the cricket team and against all of the critics who just said he was too nice and too woke um, and too caring about, you know, justice issues and issues of, you know, humanity, right? Uh, And he's had the best year and it's been phenomenal and I just think he's a good dude. Um, So, you know, it's nice to latch onto them, him and the Matildas really, just to... I think they're the only two things that have unified a lot of people this year. Well, you might also throw Barbie into the list only because it seemed to bring cinema back from the brink. We all like going to the movies. I think and cinema's... Barbie and Oppenheimer together, like yeah. the Oppenheimer effect was incredible. Yeah. So any, any last-minute uh, suggestions uh, between both of you for any, any other positivity for the year? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you cynical, Gosh, cynical journalist. So cynical. Yeah, I just I, I think Miriam's great, and I love everything she does. So ah, there you go. I like what you've done there. We'll, uh, draw... Likewise, Rick. Likewise. I'm sure she, that was a... <laughs> We'll draw a line under Santa's list for now, at least. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show this year, Rick. I uh, hope to see you back again next year. Senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton. Very nice to have you on the program. You're a gentleman. And the Australian Financial Review, Rear Window Editor and columnist, Miriam Robin, I hope you come back as well, please. 
Thanks so much. Have a lovely, have a Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you both. Thank you so much here on RN Drive. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.